Today's podcast is sponsored by our amazing friends over at Adorama. Adorama is one of the best electronic retailers specializing in photo and video equipment. They also have a rad blog and video series highlighting content creators called Through the Lens, which you can find on their YouTube channel. We've partnered with Adorama to offer free education through the AOV Academy. So head over to aovacademy.com for free online courses in photo and video. Welcome to another episode of the AOV Podcast, everyone. My name is Prince. I am your host. Today's guest is Matthew Swaggart. He's an Oklahoma-based former wedding photographer and now the founder of Hold Fast Gear. Matthew, welcome to the show. Oh, man. I'm glad to be here. We're happy to have you, man. How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's, uh, I'm excited to be hanging with you guys for a bit. I love your feed, what you guys have been doing over the past, what, couple years or two, three years you've been doing this, and it's, uh, or at least that I've been aware of it. Uh, so it's cool to be hanging with you guys for a bit. Absolutely. We appreciate you. Uh, definitely huge fans of your products, specifically my, my VP of marketing, Brian, you know, he, he's been shooting weddings for, you know, over a decade and he is just the biggest fan of your guys' straps. It's, it, you know, it really, it just really changed the game for him. So I'm really stoked to, to be on this podcast and to chat with you and learn a little bit more about yourself and how this all came together. So Let's start with you giving us a little bit more uh, background on yourself, Matthew. Well, let's see. I, I started, I went to, to college. Actually, I wanted to be a lawyer or doctor, of all things. Realized I hated all that stuff, and I got into graphic design. So that's what I wanted to do. And at the time, I had literally no respect for photography or photographers or anything like that. But I got really into uh, video production. Decided I needed to do some summer school. So I went to Europe, did some summer school, and bought a Kodak. DC 290, which is like one of their entry level. Well, I mean, the price was an entry level, but it was their kind of early digital cameras, the two megapixel camera. And I'm telling you what, while I was there, I started taking pictures and just fell in love with photography. And even though I stayed in the video production for my major, I, I knew that I wanted to be a photographer. So that's kind of where it started for me. That's awesome. What was the moment that you realized photography was like your passion like the moment like so you obviously fell in love with it but was there like a catalyst where you're like I don't want to do anything else but take photos man it was it was on that trip in summer school I, I, I think I want to say as romantic as it sounds I was in Italy and every <laughs> everywhere you go it, it's awesome and so I was just taking like you know when you're when you first pick up a camera and you're so mesmerized you take a picture of everything you see you know so I was probably like taking like 2,000 photos a day and thinking how awesome it was. And then I was staying up all night, importing the photos and playing with them in Photoshop and thinking, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. It was just so fun. And so that, that would have been being there with the camera and my computer is like, oh, this is, I want to do this the rest of my life. That's beautiful. So I noticed you've done some humanitarian work through photography. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, that's one of those moments where it really clicked. There's this tangible effect to taking a photo and seeing it be used to change someone's life. So there was a, uh, a there's a church here in Tulsa that does a lot of work in Haiti, uh, a little island off the coast of Port-au-Prince. So we, they, they were drilling water there. They had a they were putting a hospital in there and doing lots of things. So but the thing is, they didn't have a story, a way to tell the story. So I, I went over there with a with a video camera and a still camera. And I was shooting videos and taking pictures and just doing it all. And then I was coming back and putting together uh, promotional material for what they were doing to tell their story. And then all of a sudden, the, um, the fundraisers they were doing were going from like a few thousand or maybe a hundred thousand up into the 
up close to a million and over a million just because they had adequate imagery to tell the story. And it hit me as like, oh my gosh, we can really, we, you know, photographers can really do something to share people's stories. And so I, I went and I did, did like four or five trips to uh, Loganoff is the island I was going to. Um, four or five trips to Loganoff, just running video and stills and just, and then editing all the stuff together to tell the story, to show uh, what the people are going through on the island. And then what we were trying to do and trying to bring in and people could really connect with it. And that's one of those moments where for me, it's like, Oh man, if I, if I could, it's one thing to take a great picture, right. You know, and, and that moves people, but it's another thing to take a picture and then it moves people to actually make change for other people. That's, that's me was connecting the dots for, for my for purpose of my life. That's beautiful. It, it must've been super empowering as well to, to know that you could utilize your talents and your gifts to, to really make a difference and, and see the difference that you're making in, in someone's, you know, in some of these organizations and businesses and, I just imagine that had to just been a really fulfilling thing. Is that something you still practice? Uh, yeah, not as much since I've got Holdfast going. It, this business here has been sort of all-encompassing. I mean, it, it, just like any um, entrepreneur, you know, you kind of, once you start it, the ball gets rolling and you get spread really thin. But yeah, photography is something I do now more uh, so just to bless people. I don't do it for paid. I don't go and do paid gigs or weddings anymore. If I pick up my camera, it's just do something really fun and meaningful to me or other people. So, yeah, I still get a chance to do a little bit of it. Perfect. So how did you get into wedding photography? That That is funny. I actually fell in love with wedding photography, but I, I uh, didn't like it at first. What, what happened was one of my good buddies was getting married and he's like, hey, why don't you shoot my wedding? And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. N not at all. And he's like, no, come on. I'll, I'll give you 500 bucks. And I was like, no. And then finally I decided I'd do it. Because it hit me, I was like, okay, I can, I'll go shoot the wedding, get 500 bucks, and then I'll use that money to buy a lens or something, you know. Um, and 500 bucks is, is a cheap lens. So I had like one camera and one lens at the time. So I shot a wedding and I bought some camera equipment. Well, somebody else said, hey, why don't you shoot my wedding? So I was like, okay, I'll shoot a couple of weddings to get better cameras, to get better lenses. Well, after about four or five weddings in, I realized that this is something I really love doing. There's a challenge to shooting weddings that is unlike anything else. I mean, you've got to be on your A game and you can't mess up because if you mess up, you don't get second chances. So it's kind of this perfect blend of having, you have to think on your feet. You got to be, you got to be creative on the spot. You got to have great people skills and you've just got to navigate bad stuff because a wedding is never perfect. No matter what, something bad happens, or at least to the bride, it's the end of the world and you've got to figure out how to make it work and get beautiful images. So it's kind of like you've got to pull on all your skills at once to pull off a great wedding. I could only imagine. I've seen, so my girlfriend shoots weddings. I've never, that's just not necessarily my environment. I don't like people that much enough, <laughs> enough, enough to, to want to have to deal with that type of stress, you know? And so I always just, my hat's always off to, to great wedding photographers and, and watching great uh, wedding photographers in their element and watching them navigate the landscape because it's very much like going into anything else, war, a sports game, you know, a big game or whatever it may be, because you really don't know what you're going to get. Like you mm -hmm. said, you don't know what the weather is going to bring. You don't know what the environment's going to be like. You don't know what the people are going to be like. So you have to be very uh, uh, able to adapt to your yeah, environment that, very exactly. quickly and make and, and find the magic, even if the magic's not there. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's always cool to see. So. You're shooting weddings, and then how in the world did you go from shooting weddings to launching Hold Fast Gear? What happened in between there? It's kind of a long story, and I'll see what I can. To, I'll try to knock it down as much as I can. But So a few things were at play. 
So just like I mentioned, when you're shooting a wedding, it is your run and gun. You've got to figure it out. And, and for my personality, I didn't like fussing with my equipment. I didn't want to have to put something down then forget where I put it. Then I've got to break away from the scene to go find something or I got to take my eyes. I got to disengage from what I'm looking at to look down at my bag to find something. So I was like trying to carry all my like I at that point, this was like in 2003 or four. And I'm carrying three cameras at the time. I was I didn't see very many people carrying more than one camera. But I, I just thought, wait, if I have to change lenses, I'm losing time or I'm disengaging. So I was carrying three or four cameras, just on normal straps. Then then on top of that, I'm shooting as my as I'm doing better and better in my wedding photography, I'm getting invited to do more higher end weddings. So I'm going into these nicer atmospheres. So two things are at play. I'm shooting what run and gun and I'm wanting to have all my gear where I can get it quickly. But also I'm shooting these nice events. I don't like looking like the SWAT team when I walk in. I, I want to present myself a certain way. I want to be able to blend in with the people, with the environment that I'm in, as opposed to coming in with all black nylon neoprene. Um, so there are a few things at play. And then at the end of the day of, of a wedding, some of these weddings are shooting seven, eight, 10 hours, you know, straight. I've even shot weddings where I was, didn't stop for 15 hours straight, just shooting. And so at the end of the day, I was, I was 30 and I was feeling just old. I felt like an old man. My joints were hurting. My back was hurting. My shoulders were hurting. And so all these kind of culminated into, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, there's, there's got to be something different. So I started researching and looking at things. I tried every system on the market. And there's some really, really great stuff out there. I mean, it's kind of a cool time to be a photographer because there's so many great ways to carry your gear. There's belt systems. There's multiple different vests and shoulder systems. There's lots of great stuff. But at that time, nothing works for me specifically. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to I'm gonna make something for myself and just see how it does. I did. And I made myself kind of my first version of what I call the moneymaker, which, which is the leather strap. Uh, I had it carrying three cameras. And it would look terrible. I mean, it was awful looking. I thought it was cool seeing the world because I hadn't seen it yet, but it was terrible. Um, and that, that was before I lear- learned any skill in in leather or any, or any craft making like that. So it was it was pretty bad. But I, I threw it together. I walk into a wedding, and the reaction I got at the wedding was totally different than anything I'd experienced. The, I showed up to the uh, the the uh, girls' room first, and they're kind of getting some uh, pre shots, getting ready shots. And as I walk into the room the room changed. And this is the odd thing was typically when you walk into that scenario, you know, the bride and you might know one of the other girls, but the other girls in the room, you probably have never seen or met. So then there's this kind of this awkward moment where you're kind of going in there to be really quiet. You want to be unseen. You want to get some neat shots where they don't, where it doesn't feel like the photographers in the room. But then again, you've got to get these people that you've never met to be comfortable around you. So then how do you get them to be comfortable around you? But then you don't want to be seen. It's kind of this weird dichotomy. Well, I walk in wearing this moneymaker contraption that I made, the leather, the leather contraption that I made, and the room got quiet. And then all the girls started coming up to me and asking me what I had on. And they, they were making comments like, whoa, this guy knows what he's doing. Oh, man, he knows, he, he knows how to take pictures. Although they don't know me. They don't know if I was good or not. But it clicked in me. They were looking at how I was dressed. And, and because of how I was dressed, they assumed that I was a good photographer, which isn't always the case, which is probably rarely the case. But at that moment, I realized, wait, there's something to this. And then the rest of the day, I didn't have to work to get those girls trust because they trusted me based on how I presented myself, which was totally unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. It was the easiest wedding I'd ever shot. Uh, so it was a, it was sort of like a icebreaker, a conversation starter. These girls came to me. I didn't have to like kind of weasel my way in and figure out how to talk to them. They came to me and talked to me. And then I had this rapport with them. So it clicked. It's like, 
wait a minute, maybe my branding is more important than my business card and more important than my website. I, it, it, I realized that in that moment that when I shoot a wedding or an event, there's a lot of people there that will never see my work. But all those people that are there are seeing me work. They're seeing me in action, whether I want to or not, whether I want to be a fly, a fly on the wall or not, they're going to see the photographer. That's just how it is. So it clicked in me as, okay, if I can, if I can make my branding go further than my business card, but actually into how I look and how I show up, how I present myself, that could be a pretty key component in it. And it turned out it was. That's such a neat story. I think that's, that's a classic example of the power of that first impression and how important mm -hmm. those impressions are because they, it's a lasting impression. And as a, as a, photographer as a videographer uh businessman it means all the difference you know it's hilarious mm -hmm. i've showed up at shoots where you know all we need is uh a small mirrorless camera to shoot video but because i've been doing this so long and, and like you say i understand that first impression i'll bring a bunch of big rigs and some long lenses and just because the, yeah when, exactly when, they, when, when people that don't necessarily understand what you're doing when they see that stuff they just assume like you're extremely professional and like this guy, this guy has the gear. He knows exactly what he's doing. Even yeah, though we're not exactly going right. to touch, we're not going to use any of that gear. Uh, it's just there because it's that factor. It just builds rapport and rapport yeah, is, that is trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's really cool that you discovered that. And obviously the, the form and function for, you know, actually tackling what it is you're doing and then helping you do the job that much better. So that was really cool how that catalyst for the hold fast gear came about. Mm -hmm. How did you fund the company? Well, that's the interesting thing. So I, um, early on when my wife and I decided we wanted to have kids, we made a decision for ourselves that we wanted to be in charge of our, our raising our children. And, and, and I know some people don't have that luxury all the time and they have to work. And, and I understand all that and I'm not knocking any of that, but for us, we decided we wanted to be in charge of raising our children. So she quit her job when we wanted to get pregnant. She quit her job. And I started shooting weddings as much as I could. I was work. I was doing full time design work. I was doing uh, web design and print design and some video production. I was doing that full time, and I, I started doing weddings pretty much every weekend. So it turned into where I was pretty much working two full time jobs, so that we could keep my wife at home and she could, uh, and we and we both could raise our kids at home instead of be, you know putting our kids in, in like you know daycare every day. We wouldn't be able to see our children until at night. Um, we wanted to be really involved. So. Back in those days, I was working full time and then shooting weddings every weekend and did that for like five or six years. And that's when I started feeling really beat down physically, just wore out, you know, and I was 30 years old. I was like, this, I've got, this got to be a better way to do it. So that, that's kind of when I started hitting on the idea of hold fast. And so then because I had been working for so long and, and been doing weddings, I built up a little bit of money and I was doing pretty well in my, in my design job during the week. So it, I had worked long enough in that area to where we, that could sort of get close to sustaining both my wife and I's living for, and, and the children. So I was able to start using some of my wedding photography to fund the startup of Holdfast. And I did it very bare bones, very bootstrap. I mean, I was uh, teaching myself everything I could on, about leather. So we'd put the kid to bed at night and then I'd go back to work and work through the night, learning leather, learning Holdfast gear, learning this business. Uh, and, then, and so it was like, from from 2011 to 2014, it was pretty much just three full time jobs, just going, you know, burning the wick at both ends. And I'm so thankful for that because then you really know what it takes to to build a business and and to really work and fight for it, you know. So yeah, I started using about I, I used about 60 percent of my wedding income to fund the startup of Hold Fast Gear, 
and the 40% was going back into just us living, you know? And, um, I was just buying just the, just the leather I needed. It was just over the counter leather, over the counter hardware. And I was just putting together. And then, so the, I, I launched a bit, I get, got the idea in 2011, February, 2011, started making the product, sold my first product in November of 2011. And so that first product I sold was that moneymaker strap, the leather strap. And so from, Wait, so you, so you sold your first strap in November and you started it when? In February. So I started in February of 2011. Okay. Well, that's kind of when the first idea for the brand hit me. Right. And so I just went straight to work. And it was just like a, I mean, it was just like a laser focus, man. It's like it hit me. I know this is a good idea. I'm just going to fight for it with everything I got. And so for like five or six months, I just went, just went hard, learning everything I could about leather, working leather, building the products, researching the hardware, all that kind of stuff. So let me and, take a step back. So- yeah. So this is this is super inspiring. So you didn't just take this this wedding money and toss it to some guy in China and said, "Hey, make me some leather camera straps that, you know, are kind of like this." Like you're out in the garage cutting leather and molding leather and and legitimately doing this with your bare hands and reworking the the designs and things until you found something that worked. That's exactly right. I um it's funny there's we had a guest room slash office and we had a small living room and a garage. All four of those rooms were taken up by the business. I mean, I had stuff everywhere. My wife was just like lived in this constant state of feeling like everything is it like there's no space for anything. It was, it was funny. Um, almost like hoarding to, to an extent, but I was working Sounds like it all. a guy I know. Yeah. But so I didn't send it to a company in China. Number one, I just didn't know how to do that. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of <laughs> like just sheer ignorance and, and naivety, I guess, naivety, I guess, but and also, I felt like if I was going to build a brand, I wanted to do everything I could to enrich what was around me, the people closest to me, and then let it go out that way as opposed to just let me throw it over here and make all the money I can. Because to me, I didn't see this as about making money. I started this because I felt like there was a, a, it was a problem that I had as a photographer, and I'm sure someone else probably had the same problem. So I never started Hold Fast Gear as, as a way to make money. And so in that sense, I never looked at money to cut corners, if that makes any sense at all. I didn't let money make the decisions for me. So I wasn't looking at how can I make this the cheapest way possible? I was just looking at, hey, I just want to make it, I want to make something that'll last forever. You know, I've got a son. I want to make something that I can pass down to him. And if there's other people, if I'm like that, I'm sure there's someone else out there like that, that wants to use something and then pass it down. So for, for the first few months, I was just working it myself. And once I got the product where I felt like was pretty decent, I then worked with a, with a, a local place here in town, uh, it, uh, not far from my house here in Oklahoma, to help me start manufacturing the products because um, I couldn't do it myself. I just couldn't hit the, the numbers just by myself. I tried it. It didn't work. So there just wasn't enough time in the day. And at that time, I wasn't – I mean, I was just losing money. I wasn't making money uh, on Holdfast Gear. It took me several years to actually start making any money out of it. But So, yeah, from 2011 to 2014, it was like I was working two – Two full-time jobs, you're shooting weddings on the weekends, doing hold fast gear at night when the kid when the family went to sleep. And my wife and I, she'd stay up, you know, we'd put the kid down and then she'd stay up and help me package up orders, put together boxes, wrap things up, assemble everything. So it was just like we would we would clear out the living room, move all the chairs out of the way, and put everything on the floor and just like stack up all these boxes across the floor and then run through almost like we made our own little mini assembly line. We were just kind of putting things through, closing them up. It was it was hilarious, man. It's a Time I look back on with with fond memories. It was fun just her and I spending that time together and kind of building the brand. It was it's pretty cool. Man, that's that's beautiful. I'm I'm big on 
you know, being an entrepreneur myself uh, and doing this for, you know, I've been doing various things over the last decade. And I'm, I'm really big on not over glamifying entrepreneurship because it's tough. It's not, it's, you know, it's fun to look, you know, when you get to a certain point, it's really fun to look back and, and you appreciate everything that you went through. But when you're in the thicket of it, you know, it can be really rough. And mm-hmm. so what are mm-hmm. some of those, what are some of those moments that you had during, during that building phase where you were really struggling and, and, you know, and what allowed you to get through those, those, those hard times. And I, and I guess say cross the Rubicon to that point of no return to, to where you've said, you know, this is going to be the thing. It's a good question. Okay. So first off, there's just something in me that doesn't like to hear the word. No, I, you know, if if you tell me, no, I can't do something. Well, I'm just, well, dad, I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) You know, that there's just some of that. There's this thing in me. And so, in the early stages of Whole Fast, this was in 2011, and really what I was building was a luxury brand. It wasn't like someone had to go out and spend a lot of money on a camera strap. There's lots of camera straps out there. So several business people said, no, you, you, in this economy right now, this this won't work. You know, uh, I was like, well, you know what? It worked for me. There's probably someone else out there that it works for. And then also, I just felt like you kind of get this thing on the inside of you. You just know you're supposed to do something. You just know you got to do it. So that's, that's what I did. So I just went after it. And so it was at first, the first few no's that you hear for me, it was just fire. It was drive. Um, so I fought through that. And then once I started getting the products rolling, I thought traditionally you had to get your products in stores, you know, and sell it that route. Well, then I, I took the product to a few stores and they were like, no, we can't sell it. It's too expensive. No one will buy it. Well, again, that's just more of those no's. It's like, ah, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'll go out and sell it myself, you know. So then I got my website up and, you know, Instagram and Facebook and, and, and got that rolling. And so we just started selling directly on the website. And so I don't know, for me, it's just, it comes down to, there's this, there's this moment in life when passion and drive hard work, when passion and hard work, when they meet, I mean, there's just nothing that can stop you. I mean, nothing. And that's a a lot of times some people work really hard, but they don't love what they do. They're not passionate about it. But then there's people that are passionate about something, but they just don't put their life behind it. They don't put their heart behind it. And and so in those two scenarios, you'll get so far, but then it's just like it plateaus. And, but if you can get your passion behind something you absolutely love doing, you know, you just, you know, you believe in it, you love it, and you're driven to do it. That's when great stuff is going to happen. And so for me, that's when, when, the, when everything aligned was then I decided, you know what? I love photography. I want to help photographers tell better stories. I want to equip photographers to tell better stories because I was struggling at the time with that. And so since I love this medium and I, and I want to be able to be a blessing in that way, for me, it was just like, okay, I can get behind this with my whole heart. And that's where I think mountains move. You know, that's when you can just get through the mountains, get over them, through them, around them, whatever it is. Nothing will get in your way when you when you found that one thing that you just love doing and you're just going to throw your life behind it. I couldn't agree more. So hard work and and passion is what, you know, allowed Holdfast Gear to, to get off the ground and, and, and succeed and become the, the global brand that it is today. I also think, you know, that third piece is, is that faith. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like you're saying, your whole heart, I, I think passion is extremely important. And working hard is extremely important, but none of that matters if you don't truly believe in yourself and truly believe that you can actually do this thing that you're setting out to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's the piece that a lot of people forget. 
And I think that's, you know, oftentimes why a lot of people fail is because, you know, they're super passionate, they're working their butt off, but deep down in the, at their core, they don't necessarily believe that they can actually achieve what they're trying to achieve. And, and without that, I don't think anyone can really achieve anything if they don't believe it in their hearts that this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I can do this. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There's, and you brought, you hit up on a, a really important point there. I think there's, there's two things to that. There's the first thing is taking the time to decide what you, what you want to do with your life. You know, sometimes we get caught up in this, the responsibility of life of paying the bills of doing things you got to do and all that stuff. You have to do the responsibilities, but at some point you get trapped in those responsibilities as opposed to wait a minute, let me look at what I really want to do in life and figure out how to get to that point. So, so that's, it's first deciding on really what you love to do with your life. And then secondly, sometimes we, we, we decide, Oh, we want to do this. I want to do this thing in life, but we look at it. And once we've dreamed up this big dream, we then look at it and say, okay, that dream's too big. I could never do it. But you don't ever just achieve the dream. It's all about those little bitty. It's like a million little steps that get you to the dream. So you have to start on the little steps. And so, once I decided with Holdfast Gear what I wanted to do, it's all okay. It's like, okay, let me rewind this back. Let me just start with what I can do right now. Let me start with the, the quickest. I've, I've always said, after starting Holdfast, I came along this idea of making the first right decision that you can make, the quickest right decision. You know, not look, let me look at this big grand mountain I got to climb. Okay, wait a minute. How do I even get to that mountain? Let me just start the ball here. Let me go do this thing I can do right now. And it, when you do that first right decision, it's going to open the door for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the next thing you know, you keep walking through those doors. You keep making those little bitty right decisions. Then you look back and say, oh, wait, I've come a few miles now. Like, I'm really close now. You know, so you're right. It's, it's Some people talk themselves out of getting started just because of this self-doubt. And sometimes you just got to ignore that and not let that make the decision for you. Just decide, you know what, I want to do this with my life. What's the first right right decision I can make? Absolutely. So as far as designing a product, there's a lot that goes into that. Like, what was your, what was your, like, I guess your process of iteration? Like, you know, what was that feedback? Like, did you go out and use the strap and give it to other people, get feedback, make changes, rebuild? Like, what does that, you know, process look like for anyone else out there that would be interested in starting some type of physical goods company? Well, this is an interesting thing. And Steve Jobs once said, you can't, I don't, I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm going to butcher it. But he once said he doesn't use uh, focus groups because the focus group doesn't know what they want until you show them. And so his idea was I wouldn't go show a focus group uh, my iPhone because they don't know what an iPhone is. They don't know that they need it, you know. So when I was first starting Holdfast Gear, I was really protective of the ideas and the products. I, I didn't want to go show a bunch of people and, and let them shoot it down. And then it would keep me from getting started because I was listening to what they have to say. I, I, there was, I'm not saying this works for everyone, but for me at the time – I was just using it every day, finding holes in it, finding mistakes in it, and trying to fix it uh, before I let anyone else use it or see it because I felt like they would talk me out of even chasing the idea. And I'm all about chasing ideas. You know, If I get an idea, I'll chase it down or run it down, and it may work, it may not work, but at least I gave it a shot. I, I let it try to live. You know what I'm saying? So I would, I would, that first strap I made, it was absolutely terrible, but it clicked with people. So I knew, okay, it clicked with people. Now I need to make it click, make sure it works for me. So that's where I came up with the idea with form and function had to be equal. If it, it looked really good, but at the time it wasn't real comfortable. It was kind of long. It was kind of dangly. Things weren't real tight, you know? So um, I decided that the way it worked had to be as good as it looked. And it had to look as good as it worked. And they could not, one could not weigh, weigh the other or else there's a shelf life to it. At some point you'll set it down. 
So, man, I just put hours and hours and hours into using it and dissecting it, figuring out where it hurt on me, figuring, figuring out where it didn't work for me, and I would fix it. And then at the end of it, once I feel like I really got it, then I let a friend of mine use it, and then I listen to his feedback. But it wasn't just any person. There's a friend that I knew would give me an honest answer. He wouldn't just say, oh, it's awesome. Or he wouldn't say, this is a stupid idea. He would give me real honest feedback. So I was very selective with who I let see it and who I let use it in the beginning because I wanted to protect the idea. That totally makes sense. And it helps, you know, when you are, like you said, you're just solving a problem for yourself. So when you are your own customer, it's a lot easier to, to understand what you're building and how to get it right because you're a photographer and you know what you want. And the reality is most other photographers probably want similar things. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, it's a lot easier to build something that way. I know your products are produced in America, uh, and I know why that's important for me to have products that are produced here in the USA, but I'm curious, why is that important to you guys at Holdfast Gear? Uh, there's a few reasons. Uh, the first and foremost is, like I said earlier, I want to, wherever I'm at in life, I want to be a, bless a blessing in that stage. I want to help people that are around me as much as I possibly can. So if I'm going to start a company that send my products to be built somewhere else and then bring them back in, there's nothing wrong with that. I can make a much cheaper product that way, but then I'm not blessing those around me, those closest to me. You know, I decided if I kept all my products built in America, built here close by, I can enrich my local community, you know, offer other people jobs, whether it's one job or 10 jobs, it's still giving people opportunities to work and to do something, you know, which, which I really like. So I wanted to be a blessing to my local community. Number one, number two is control. I really wanted to have an eye on everything we made to make sure it was absolutely perfect, to make sure the materials were perfect. Uh, I don't want to cut corners anywhere. I feel like once you start compromising and cutting corners, at some point, there's no bottom to that. You know, you're going to hit this tipping point where you're just going to keep compromising till, you know, you may be making a lot of money, but your product is just terrible. And at some point, a lot of people get burned by it, you know, and I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to leave a lasting impression and be leave a positive impression, you know, um, so control. I really wanted a high level of control in the product. I wanted to, to see who had their hands on it, see where all my product, all my materials, all my hardware, where all my leather came from. I wanted to watch how we put it together. So from beginning to end, I wanted to see it, feel it, touch it, make sure it was perfect. And then lastly, you know, I just, it was just, uh, they told me I couldn't do it. You know, the, it, like I said, it was 2011. So in those, in those, during those years, it was just a really hard economy to do this kind of stuff. And so I was like, well, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it, you know? So part of it's just stubborn. Part of it, I just wanted to, was control, control freak. And then lastly, I just want to be a blessing wherever I'm at. I love it. I love it. And I appreciate it. So you started Hold Fast Straps. You were a wedding photographer. Fast forward 2018 today. Who are like, who are Hold Straps? Like what demographic of photographer are these straps made for? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, and that's, I love, I go to three or four trade shows a year. Um, I go to the, the big WPPI in Vegas. I go to photo expo in New York. Um, there's always a, a really fun one I go to called mystic seminars. That's been in Portland and it's been a few other places. Uh, and I go to the PPA show in January, is it January or what, what? I go to a few shows and I love going to them because what that allows me to do, it allows me to see who's using the gear, actually see who's using the gear. And we get, obviously, there's a certain demographic that, that a high portion of people buy. And it's that, it's that 20s to early 30s group that buy a lot of Holdfast gear. But there's still a lot of grand, grandmothers that are still shooting that wear the moneymaker, which I love seeing. There's, 
there's a, there's a few high school kids, you know, that are, that are getting into the game and, and wearing the products. So it really, the product is actually made for anybody. I didn't make it to to be like one person, one style. I designed it to where it would fit a lot of people and it'd be comfortable on a lot of people. So we probably sell primarily to the 20s and early 30s group. But when I go to these trade shows, it's great because I get to see there's just a huge range of people that use it and love it, which is always, I, I love seeing that. Awesome. I've, I was just curious because I've seen, like you, I've seen all types of different people wear the straps, but depending on how uh, in-depth in the scene you are, uh, you may only see wedding photographers and just mm-hmm. assume that it's only for wedding photographers if you've never seen an, a landscape or an adventure type backcountry photographer uh, rocking a hold fast strap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's uh, obviously it hit really quickly in the wedding world. And I was a wedding photographer, so I already knew quite a few people in that in that area that allowed it to really take off pretty quick. So yeah, it's used the biggest, I would say, as far in, in photography, weddings is the highest concentration of the use of the moneymaker. But we're starting to see it now in sports because it's perfect for a sports photographer because they're carrying a wide and a tight lens, you know, so it's absolutely perfect for sports. So uh, in fact, just last year, there was a photographer that invited, gave me, uh, me and my son tickets to go onto the field because he's a moneymaker user. He's like, hey, I love the product, man, here, take these tickets, come, come out and see me, you know, so uh, I got an email from the Carolina Panthers photographer who uses it. So we're starting to see it pop up in NBA and NFL really, really strongly, which I just love seeing. Uh, there's an MMA photographer that uses it. And there's a like the leading uh, CrossFit photographer and his team. They're all moneymaker users. So we're really starting to see it cross over into a lot of the sports world, which is which is very cool. And it obviously makes a lot of sense for the high action photography. That's awesome. I have the – so I haven't had a chance. So I So I got the double – the double moneymaker, right? Yep, yep, the moneymaker, yep. I haven't had a chance to actually uh, shoot with it, but there's been, like, historically speaking, there's been so many situations and so many times where I've been on shoots where I'm doing video and photo. Yeah. And I have two cameras and multiple things, and it is such a pain in the butt to not have a strap that can hold both cameras or to have two different types of straps or one strap and one camera handheld. And I've been in all these different situations where I'm just like, man, I wish I just had, you know, a holster style camera strap that could just, I could just gunsling, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever, exactly, yeah. whatever camera I need. And so I'm really excited for myself to, to get into one of those scenarios here in the near future to where I can really get a chance to, to test it out in the real world. And, and see how it really improves my own personal workflow. Uh, as I know, you know, it's improved a lot of other people's workflow. With that said, what do you think about? So I'm knowing this. I'm, I'm seeing this growing trend of photographers becoming entrepreneurs, and I think it's really, it's really neat. I think, you know, we the the market's extremely competitive right now. There's more photographers mm-hmm. than ever today, yeah. which is a blessing and a curse at the same time, depending on who you are, where you're at and what you do with the tools. And so what advice would you have for, you know, photographers out there like you that, you know, are either have a problem that they want to solve, or they're just realizing like, Hey, I have these other ideas and I don't think I'll be able to produce the, the type of life that I'd like to live through my photography itself and may want to start a business. What advice would you have for some of these young, these young creators? I think there's a few things. Uh, I think, first of all, a lot of people wait for money. 
it's such an easy trap to fall into. It's like, okay, I've got this idea, but I got to wait. So I get $10,000 or whatever it is. But then the, the idea is if you're waiting on money, the idea will always stall. So there's this, there's a saying that provision always follows vision. Vision comes first and the provision follows. And I can tell you that that's what happened with, with Holdfast Gears. I just started hitting it as hard as I could and making those nearest decision, decisions that I knew I could make that would lead me to, to my goal. I started making those decisions and doing those things. And it just sort of, it was like a snowball effect. So I would say, don't let money make decisions for you. Let your, let your vision, let your, let your passion make those decisions and you'll see doors open. Then I would say number two is find your voice. Learn as much as you absolutely can. Take in all the information you can, but at some point you have to turn that information to something that's yours. You know, and that's what's so bad about the photo industry. And I love the, fo- I love the photo community, but it's, you see like 10 really talented photographers that are like all of a sudden they're the big names and all the, all the trade shows and all the speaking engagements are the big names. And then everyone else tries to copy exactly what that person does. And then you see this person pops up, they have a look. And then for the next three years, that look is in everyone's weddings, you know, and there's nothing wrong with inspiration. And I'm, and I'm not talking about that. Uh, you should learn, do whatever you can to learn, but then take that knowledge and turning it into something that's truly your own. That's where you're going to see yourself separate and be able to, to let that vision flourish is when that vision becomes your own. Appreciate those words. I know the community is going to going to really appreciate all the value you just dropped there for them. Matthew Swaggart, guys, from photographer to entrepreneur to successful entrepreneur, you know, running a, a global company. I mean, guys, anything's possible. Have faith, work hard, and believe in yourself. And with that said, Matthew, I'm going to leave you with one last thing. Normally, when I end the podcast, I basically allow my guests to share one one thing with the AOV community, whatever it is that they want to share with them. Normally, it's something you're inspiring. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a very large community of young artists from all around the world, and they listen to this podcast for inspiration to get fired up, to want to get out there, and whether it's to improve their photography, whether it's to launch a business, whether it's to learn how to sell, whatever it may be, you know, they're looking for that that's something special. So I'm going to go ahead and leave you with the floor and and let you leave them with something special. So I kind of said that I've touched on this throughout the whole interview, but there's three words that have sort of defined my life that I, that I wrote down these three words probably in 2007 or something. And, and I've literally let that kind of guide me all the way through. It's wish is waste. One day I was sitting around just, well, this had happened probably for a few years. I was kind of in this funker in this groove wishing things are different, wishing I had this, wishing I had that, wishing I could be in a different place. It dawned on me that I'm wasting my life wishing on things as opposed to just going out there and fighting for it or doing what I can to change my, 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 my position in life. So I wrote down those words, wish is waste. And anytime I catch myself thinking I wish something was better, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Now I can make this better. I have what it takes to make something better. So let me see what I can do to make it better. Wherever I'm at in life, I want to just leave my mark on it. I want to do what I can to, to lift the bar, even if it's a little bit. I want to leave my mark like that. And I think a lot of people get caught up in past and present and let that dictate their future. Um, and you don't have to. I mean, you can at any given moment, you can rewrite what's happening. You can put pen to paper and change it and make it happen. You can at any given moment in life. And so, uh, you know, we all go, we all it rains on the just and unjust alike. We know that. We all have our bad days. Everyone has them. Everyone has really sick, awful moments in life. Everyone has been, has seen the worst things that humanity has to offer. We all go through it. But then some of us get stuck there. 
and I've been, I've been in that place. I've, I've, I had a very, I won't go into it, but I had a really interesting childhood and upbringing. It's just a fascinating story that I, I, I love and thankful. I'm so thankful for it. But in my position, a lot of people got just stuck with what happened to them. And I had seen a few things. I'd gone through a few things. And for many years, I was stuck that way. I, I had grown up just very bitter and with a lot of hate towards a lot of people. It got to the point where in college, I how much how much longer do I have? Do I have like a minute? You're getting okay. you're good. I don't keep want it to just keep going. Okay, so yeah, yeah I, 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 I hit this point where I was in college and I I would wake up, go to my classes and go back to my room and never talk to anyone because I hated people. And I'm I'm an outgoing guy, but I had loud circumstances in my life and things I had gone through as a child to turn me into a guy full of anger, bitterness and hate. I mean, I mean, ready to fight anyone just for looking at me cross, you know, and I'm not a big guy. So that's not a good decision. That's never a good decision for me to fight anybody. But uh, yeah, I had let these things just dictate my life. So it was putting me in a course of just, just darkness. I mean, that's the only word to, to say is putting me in a course of darkness. And so I was letting all these people that had done me wrong and had done things to me that were really, really, really awful. I was letting them now control my life because I was mad at them and angry at them and bitter towards them. And because I was mad at a few people that did a few things to me growing up, all of a sudden, now they were actually uh, defining who I was becoming. And so I, one day it hit me. It's like, okay, I, I got to forgive those people. I have to forgive those moments in life and forgive those people so I can rewrite this thing. This, this train is going to be a train wreck if I don't get off it. I've got to fix it. And so I just started forgiving myself, forgiving uh, people in my past. And, and to this day, it's a daily walk with when I go through something with somebody, I've I work through forgiving them because I don't want that that to turn into bitterness and anger inside me that's going then to direct my future and put me on a path I don't want to be on. Uh, I don't want people to control my life, period. So I'm going to forgive them. If I can forgive them, then they can't control me and they can't work me and they can't own me because I've forgiven them. They have no power over me. Um, and that's the same thing with uh, scenarios in life. You're going to go through some crappy, crappy stuff. but So you can get stuck in that and let that beat you down or you can say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to – I'm gonna. that was bad but I'm not going to let that define who I'm going to become. And so I wish is waste, man. Don't, don't sit around wasting your life, wishing on things to be better. Get out there, put pen to paper and make it happen. And I say that make it happen. Not in a, you know, I've been there. I've been through, I've been through your people's shoes and I've seen the darkest things in life. I've, I've been in those moments. It's just about making that nearest right decision and then let that lead you to the next nearest right decision. It doesn't have to be a hard thing. It's just a matter of continue to make, close right decisions until it turns into the big things bang i love it man thank you so much for sharing all that with the aov community so much value in there they're gonna love this episode so i really appreciate you coming on the show matthew yeah it's a killer episode hey guys thanks for listening to another episode of the aov podcast our goal here at art of visuals is to keep everything free and to keep creating great tools and resources for you guys to utilize to achieve all your guys' dreams in the photography, filmmaking, and content creation world, even entrepreneurship. With that said, we've picked up Adorama as a sponsor to help us cover some of our costs, and we're grateful for them. All we ask of you guys is if you're going to purchase gear, we'd really love it if you guys would head over to Adorama.com and make your purchase there instead of elsewhere and just know that when you guys do that you guys will also somewhat be supporting art of visuals and allowing us to continue to create great content for you guys uh, like our podcasts our free app 
and a lot of the other great things we do. Also, if you listen to the podcast, all of the AOV presets are now free. Uh, so check out our website, shop.artivisuals.com. Go get some free presets. The artist presets are still for sale. If you want to support the artist and you should support the artist, uh, just know that that money goes to them. And we're also going to be reworking that commission structure uh, here in the next month. So we're really stoked about that. But go get some free presets. And if you guys want to buy gear, please support us. Help us out. Go to Adorama.com. Peace.